And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out. I'm Andy Shilton. And I'm Steffi Bonnet. Today, her Dia 5. Uh, the censors, we're going to put your questions to Stefan Edwards. And the ladies of Kangolan. It's another queer street. So I'm glad you had to say that first. So, all today, right here on Shout Out. Hello, one and all. Right, come on then, Terry. Correct us. How do you say? Is it Hangolan? Hangolan. Thank you, Terry. And oh. we, I apologise to all our listeners on uh, Radio Turquoise. Yeah. So, Steph demonstrating the way you do it Bristolian-like, you know. <laughs> um, and hello, Andy. Hello, how is everyone? Very well, thank you. Hello, Rose. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I've just been for a very long walk in the countryside and very I'm very nice. tired. All the country air has has got to me. <laughs> so it's bad the way it does that. You know. Yeah, I mean you can even like old, just go sit in the garden for a bit and feel tired afterwards. But that could be Yeah, but that's because your that's because your garden trips are associated with drinking cocktails and and tonics. <laughs> 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 no, did 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 have a very good weekend. Um, that did involve too many cocktails, which was kind of weird because it was on Zoom. Um, but uh, it was friend's fiftieth birthday, um, and we made um, uh, lots of cocktails. Got far too drunk, but it was fun. So, did you have um, like a little list that you had to you had to sort of make up? You know, or, or did you? Well, we had a bartender. We had a bartender. Oh. Um, oh. They actually, um, you, you bought tickets for it. It was a ticketed event, um, and um, oh. they sent you a list of all the ingredients that you had to get. And he kind of, you know, had multiple camera angles so you could see him, or you could see like chopping board and mixing stuff and the like. Yeah, and we the all followed, all followed along. Yeah, well, it had like like oranges and lemons in parts of it, so you had to see the chopping board. Don't be rude. <laughs> <laughs> and I and asked what, the... what he was wearing. Mm, yeah. Well, not not much because he did not do a little much, bit yeah. of a striptease at the end, you know. Especially for her fiftieth, mm. it was quite yeah. uh, quite an eye opener. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hence and the title, the... cocktail mm. party. <laughs> what, what was the most unusual ingredient? Uh, Oreos. Oreos, was it okay? Oh. Yeah, we made very one good, that was. I'll tell you off air, but it, it didn't have a, a name, so they asked us to name it. But by that point, we'd all had lots of cocktails, so one of the girls gave <laughs> okay. this um, one a rather rude name, but we would probably call it cookies and cream. Um, but I'll, I'll put it this way it had a, a rim of Oreo around the edge. And it was posted oh. on Facebook. <laughs> it was posted on Facebook. So, moving on very quickly from that, let's catch up with Hidayah. <laughs> My five on shout out. Dear shout out radio listeners, my name is Osman. My pronouns are he, him, and I identify as a gay Muslim man. I volunteer for an organisation called Hadaya. Our mission is to provide support for LGBTQI plus Muslims and promote social justice and education around the queer Muslim community to counter discrimination, prejudice and injustice. 
The main theme of this year's LGBT History Month was mind, body and spirit. As a queer Muslim, I want to talk about this theme of mind, body and spirit and what it means to me and other queer Muslims. So in the traditional sense, body, mind and spirit means that all three of these parts of ourselves are in equal balance. A disturbance in one usually leads to disturbances in the other two. I think as a queer person, we often have an imbalance, especially when it comes to spirit. Spirit in the traditional sense would be our everyday religious upbringing. Many LGBTQI plus folks have had extremely negative experiences with organised religion, where it has been weaponised and used against us purely on the basis of our sexuality, gender identity or the way we present. And as adults, we tend to neglect this part of ourselves or replace it with other forms of ritual and meditation. Now, speaking as a Muslim who happens to be queer, we too pray five times daily to God and therefore always have a running dialogue with our higher power. We often eat halal food, which is permissible in accordance with Islamic law. This food helps to nourish our bodies and minds. We have ritual cleansing to calm the mind, clean the physical body and prepare the spirit to listen and to speak to God. We are fortunate that Islam is not only a religion but a lifestyle, one that actively promotes us to balance and maintain equilibrium of mind, body and spirit. Our gender and sexuality does not prevent us from living a halal Muslim lifestyle, rather it is the culture around organised religion that poses a problem. We must remember that in Islam it is our intentions and what is in our hearts that truly matters. So what have been the challenges and barriers queer Muslims encountered in trying to keep ourselves mentally and physically and spiritually well? I believe if you surround yourself with people who are positive, you will in turn be healthy and positive. We are taught by the Prophet Muhammad that we are the company we keep. One of the biggest obstacles from history viewpoint is that many of our social gatherings are at bars and discos where alcohol and drugs are consumed, leading to bad decisions that affect our bodies as well as our minds. Luckily, the community has learnt that not everyone loves to get drunk at parties and now there are more and more different types of groups and interests and beliefs. We're moving towards a healthy direction as a community as a whole, I think. As a queer Muslim, for many of us, alcohol is forbidden and these places have always been difficult for queer Muslims to navigate and feel comfortable in. So now thinking about what we can do to promote the well-being of ourselves and our fellow queer people. First, we must recognise that we are all works in progress. We must change our mindsets and see our communities as they really are and why there is such dis dysfunctionality and acknowledge that there is these uncomfortable issues within our community. Examples like the muscle-clad white gay man that secretly suffers from body dysmorphia or the passing trans person who becomes paranoid and desperately fixates on blending in or horrible attitudes around bisexuals being greedy and confused and that lesbians have been systematically been ignored and oppressed throughout history and in, in just about every society. We must also recognise that there are other letters included in the LGBTQI and that we should be just as welcoming to those people and groups. We must actively work to remove stigma or judgement and we need more inclusion and intersectionality in our communities. We need to hear the voices of people of colour and adjust accordingly. On a final note, ultimately we must watch what we consume because that affects all three parts of us, our mind, body and spirit. 
So that includes foods that we actually consume, information we mentally consume, religious principles and ideas we spiritually consume, and, and being aware of general consumer cultures and societies that we live in today. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on our social media channels. If you have a story you could tell in five minutes, get in contact. Visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Oh, I like that one. That's, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sarah and Tegan. Yes, that's called uh, Closer. Oh. Yeah, they're Although it they're says the word physical. That's a lot. Yeah. I, I was expecting it to be oh. called physical. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're actually twins and they're both gay. Oh, wow. oh, right. That does happen, oh. you know. <laughs> I know, yes, quite, yes, yes. I know quite a few twins, um, and uh, both are gay. In fact, I know yeah. a couple that where one's gay and one's not as well. So um, I don't think it's necessarily linked to whether you're a twin or not. No. There have been studies, haven't they? But they're inconclusive as yeah. to their findings about being twins and being gay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but any which way, I like the music. I think that's a really nice song. So yeah, they that, do that some was, good stuff. Was that your pick, or was that someone else's? Um, that was Hans, actually. She's a big fan of theirs, so I listened to quite a few of their tracks, um, and they're, they're a good listen. Um, mm. Yeah, they've got a huge following. Mm. Yeah, they're cool. very big. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, um, Rose, I assume you're still there. You, you kind of disappeared. Yes, I am bit. still here. Um, I think I might have um, uh, uh, closed it by error, but anyway, oh, I shall okay. come back on after the news. Well, you should speaking... see my pretty little face after oh, yeah. the news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Wonder speaking of which, Zoom. if you are both ready, uh, let's get some news headlines. Shout out news headlines on Thursday, the 18th of March. LGBTQ campaigners united with women's groups on Saturday night after scenes of violence between officers of the Metropolitan Police and women who had come to Clapham Common to warn Sarah Everard, a case which has shocked the nation and raised the profile of heterosexual male violence against women. Prominent campaigner Peter Tatchell tweeted that Met Police Chief Inspector Cressida Dick should resign. He also added, appalling behaviour by heavy-handed policing, lack of sensitivity, make misogyny a hate crime alongside racism and stop violence against women. Amazon is sometimes portrayed as a sheer as the sheer epitome of an evil multinational corporation, and certainly many, many LGBTQ people within trade unions will be aware of criticisms of its style of employee relations. Nevertheless, we also need to note that that to mark International Women's Month, the platform is showcasing some of some of the independently owned and female-led businesses that trade on its platform. There are free webinars to watch online to learn more, as well as profiles of some prominent women controlled controlled businesses. 
The government's new proposals to amend public order legislation to curtail the rights of non-violent protesters have garnered much comment and LGBTQ activist groups have been watching closely as the discussions unfold. On Monday night, Channel 4 News devoted a considerable amount of time to the plans which had been laid before Parliament by the Home Secretary, Priti Patel. It was noted that Ms Patel appears to have a low opinion of contemporary protest groups, describing Black Lives Matter as disgraceful and Extinction Rebellion as criminal. LGBTQ civil rights campaigners believe that the government may want to stop all manner of protests and could prevent them from carrying out LGBTQ activism. It's been a long time since the LGBTQ community in Bristol had a community centre of its own. The Gay Centre on Gasferry Road existed between around 1978 and 1983, but sadly closed down soon thereafter. At just the time when the AIDS crisis meant that there was a greater call for it more, more than ever. In its stead, the community enjoyed other official and unofficial meeting places, such as the Allard Richards Building on Old Market, Greenleaf Bookstore and The Watershed, Arnolfini and Café Kino. Now, reports of B247 say that a coalition of activists in, is, is information gathering with a view to opening some kind of community centre for the whole of the LGBTQ spectrum in the near future after lockdown. They say, we want to see Bristol's queer community becoming stronger in tackling social and environmental matters and increasing the resilience of those involved. Whilst having fun, says says Marcin, told, <laughs> the activist Marcin told reporters. For the Romans, purple was a symbol of imperial power. And of course, purple has traditionally also been the colour of gay pride and feminism. Now, the Office of National Statistics reveals that for the weekend of the 19th to the 21st of March, National Census Weekend, many public buildings will be going purple, lit up in the colour of the census campaign. Iconic landmarks including the Wales Millennium Centre in Cardiff, the BT Tower in London and the Blackpool Tower are signed up for the celebration. The reason for the colour scheme is not directly linked to the LGBT community or women's liberation movements, but we can still revel in the fact that one of our favourite colours is being used to illuminate Census Weekend. It's a happy St Patrick's Day to Irish people around the globe as we pass the 17th of February, the Saints Day for Ireland. St Patrick lived in the 4th and 5th centuries and is credited at largely converting pagan Ireland to Christianity during the declining years of the Roman Empire, which never occupied Ireland. And March the 17th is believed to have been the date of his death in the year of 461. Irish parades and similar events take place around the globe. LGBTQ Irish groups are now an essential part of these, in spite of the fact that until, until relatively recently, gay and trans-Irish organisations were prohibited from the parades in New York and Boston. And finally, this weekend sees the spring equinox. Day and night are equal as the Earth presents the equator to the plane of its orbit. Now, the goddess and the green man, a pagan and new age bookstore in Glastonbury, explains that the ancient name for this festival is after a Germanic goddess, Astara, who was traditionally honoured in the month of April. It was from Astara that the Christian celebration of Easter evolved, and indeed the naming of the hormone oestrogen, which of course is essential to women's fertility. Themes of rebirth, new life and resurrection 
are echoed by many belief systems at this time of year. However you celebrate, we wish you a warm and sunny weekend, socially distanced, of course. For these news stories in further detail and much, much more, check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Terry Starr and Rose France. Shoutout News, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout out LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Uh, that's a king. Uh, years and years. I haven't heard that one for a while, actually. Yeah. Um, bit of a different one. It is. It's not, nice to hear something nice and different, cheerful. He's a great actor as well, isn't he, Ollie? He is. He yes. is uh, it's a sin. And tipped by some to be a future Doctor Who. Oh. oh. Wow. He was um, he was uh, singing in um, in Asdor earlier over at Cribs. In, in what? In person? Uh, no, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, Grab him for the on, show, quick. <laughs> he was on Asdor FM. Asdor. Oh, they're in house station. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for, those, for those non-Bristolians out there, it's pronounced Asda. Yeah. Um. Do you know what it stands? Do you know what it stands for? Andy, do you know no. what Asda stands for? Oh, Asda. Associated Dairies. That's right. Yeah. 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 I've just come back to being British again, I believe, isn't it? Um, having it has, yeah. having yes. been out of the fold for a while. So. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was owned by Walmart for a long time. Yeah. So, anyway, um, you heard in the news there about certain buildings turning purple, um, uh, which is quite cool. I love it when they light up buildings, um, but it's all around the kind of stuff to do with uh, the senses. And we're very lucky to have joining us um, Stefan Edwards. Hello, Stefan. Welcome to Shout Out. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Um, now, um, those of us of our age and older probably know a lot about the census and what it is and what it does. Uh, for those that may not have heard of it, or this is the first time they've actually had to take part or something, do you want to just give us a quick kind of like recap what it is and why we do it? Yeah, sure. So um, the census happens once every uh, every 10 years and it's, it's coming around again this Sunday. So uh, now's the moment really for people to sort of get involved and... Uh, the census is, is a survey of everybody in the country uh, and it's really important because it helps um, inform decisions on services that kind of shape our communities. So it's everything from schools to doctor surgeries, roads, bus routes, all of that kind of thing is all informed by the data from the census and all of the kind of national government um, funding is kind of allocated through that data. So it's really important for, for everybody to fill, fill their information in and kind of make sure that their communities are represented. Cool. And, and uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, it's got quite a history. It goes back quite some time, doesn't it? Yeah, so we're about 200 years in here in the UK. Or well, if you count wow. the Doomsday Book, you can go back even further than that. Um, <laughs> but the kind of modern census is, is around 200 years old. So, I mean, the important thing with this one, which is different from the past, is that this is the first census where we're aiming to be digital first. So um, in the 2011 census, you were actually able to do it digitally, but um, but most people still did it on paper. 
this time we're kind of hoping to flip that on its head for the first time and uh, and and the majority of people are expected to complete online um although there is still a paper version available for those who maybe aren't um you know aren't sort of digitally savvy or are kind of concerned about doing things online there you go, Steffi. That's you sorted. You, um, yeah, it is me sorted. I was a bit, I was very concerned. Um, um, Stefan, uh, everyone does it on the same day, or hopefully. Do, do you not worry that the website will just fall over? So, yeah, so Census Day is this Sunday um, and everybody um, completes with Census Day in mind, but you are actually able to complete it in advance. Um, so hopefully everybody will have received through the post um, their code and you can use that code to go online to complete it. Um, and as soon as you have that code, you can go on. You know, if your if your situation's unlikely to change between now and Sunday, which for the you know the vast majority of people, probably not much will change in the next few days. Um, you can go on, complete it now click send off it goes and you don't need to worry about it again and and, and if anything was to change in the next few days you can log back in and, and make some tweaks so um yeah we're definitely encouraging people to sort of get on and, and do it ahead of time if you can i won't uh, lie i didn't I, realize I, that i didn't realize it was a day thing i did mine ages ago when it first came through so <laughs> well you could always log back in if if you have you know moved house or had a baby or anything major since since then you can always log back no, in um, no there, there are some miracles that haven't happened yet and me and i <laughs> having a baby is definitely one of them <laughs> so, but um, this is the never. first never say yeah true um, but this is the first time it's kind of featured stuff around kind of um, gender um, and sexual orientation like isn't it yeah, so we've got a couple of new questions this year around um, gender identity and sexual orientation, which have never been on there before. Um, so I think that's really a really exciting new addition. And it's something that um, I know a lot of organisations in Bristol, the Council and the NHS have been involved with um, lobbying, the, uh, lobbying the ONS over the past um, 10 years or so to get those questions on because it's data that it's, they don't really have good enough um, statistics to be able to support those communities. So it's really important. And uh, I think something which is really nice about those questions as well is that there is, um, for both the gender identity and the sexual orientation, there are um, free text boxes so people can kind of identify in the way that they want to with those questions, which I think is really important. Um, and another thing so, which I think is... Sorry, no, well, I just, I just said because obviously, so it's had a bit of a mixed emotion, um, a bit mi mixed response in the community. Um, mm -hmm. Some some people um, are very like, oh, it's great to see. And other people are very wary and concerned. Um, now, before I come to the second point, what are the positives of collecting that information? What, what, what because we've not done it before. What's it, what's it going to help provide that we haven't been able to get before? It's very important for um, for the local authorities, uh, especially, to have that information in terms of um, sort of allocating resources and things like uh, charities. Quite often, use it for justifying um, funding bids as well. So, right. for any community, whether it be the LGBT um, plus community or, or an ethnic group such as the Somali community in Bristol, for example, being able to kind of show how big and how prominent a group are in, in a certain area is really useful to kind of um, help justify kind of the allocation of resources and, and funding bids and things like that. So the more represented uh, any group is, the better, really. So how do you how do you guarantee that then? Because, I mean, some people won't answer it because, you know, it's not compulsory, is it? 
Yeah, so it's mainly about sort of encouraging people and trying to spread the word um, through, you know, through you guys, for example, in shows like this, kind of just really spread the word about the importance of the census and and, and all of the things it helps and kind of also trying to sort of myth bust any, any worries um, that people may have about, you know, the security of data and things like that, um, just to reassure people that it is a good thing to get involved with. So, well, I do seem to remember actually reading on the pamphlet that it, it says, you know, anything that's put in here is not made public knowledge for about 100 years or something, isn't it? But, you know, if if I'm concerned about putting my own information on it, what, what kind of advice would you give someone? Yeah, so the data, the personal data is held for, for over 100 years. Um, so then it's released at that kind of personal level for historians and people sort of tracing their family tree and things like that. Um, the sort of the anonymized data, which uh, can be used by local authorities, comes out in about a year's time. And the ONS are really careful with all of that data that it's only down to uh, areas that are sort of sub-ward areas so that no individuals can be identified. And the ONS have a really strong reputation for, for keeping that data safe. Um, that data will never be shared with um, any other government um Right. Body, for example, it's it's against the law. It's written into the census law that uh, that that can't be shared. So it can't influence your your immigration status. With it. it won't be given to the Home Office. It won't be given to the even the Secret Service of requested uh, so, information. So for, in the past and being so for example, it, it it may say you know like what percentage of people in um, say Bristol, for example, are lesbian or gay, but it won't specifically name me or areas stuff like that and that kind of thing exactly yeah and i think another feature if people are concerned about confidentiality as well a really nice feature actually this time around which is new is that you can request an individual form um as well as your sort of household form so for example if someone was living with their parents and they weren't kind of openly out then they may sort of answer in one way on the household form uh, and then you're able to uh, request an individual form and you can request that to either be posted to you and it comes in a in a non-branded envelope if you make that request um, or you can request it via the code via text message to your phone and then you can log back in on your individual form and kind of override the answers and your your individual response will always override the household one so i think that's a really nice feature for people who maybe want to kind of put their information on the census about their sexuality and kind of be counted in that sense but it may not be known to the people they live with right so um, this is Rose. Um, I just had a question, actually, uh, Stefan, which is um, on the census form. I've got literally got it in front of me here and it says you must complete the census by law. If you do not or if you supply false information, you could be fined for up to a thousand pounds. It does say some questions are clearly labelled as being voluntary. It is not an offence if you do not answer these. So I didn't realise that it was actually you had to complete it by law. Is that... Correct. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, there's a legal requirement for anybody uh, anybody who's a British national or anybody who's going to be, uh, has been or is going to be in the country for over three months to do the census. Um, so, yeah, and as you say, though, there are quite a few questions on there, a lot of the really sensitive questions that people might be, you know, less uh, less comfortable answering are, are voluntary. So any of the voluntary ones, you can absolutely leave those blank if you're not comfortable answering them and there's no sort of comeback to you on those. It's just those compulsory questions that you do need to legally go in and answer. Do, you or actually, as you okay. as, do many people get fined, Stefan? Um, so in the 2011 census, I think it was only uh, just over 200 people got taken to court. So it's a very oh, small so it's number. Oh, so it's not many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. 
and hopefully you wouldn't want it to get to this stage but right up up until the moment that uh, you're in the dock you can still change your mind and complete your uh, census and avoid the fine so it really is those kind of um, sort of political activist type um, protesters really are the only people who sort of end up getting to that stage hopefully could I ask, Stefan, are, the, are you this year sending out people to help out those who are unable to complete or are unwilling to complete? Because I know um, in the 2011 census um, there were a couple of people coming on doorsteps to, uh, for those that hadn't completed. So several weeks afterwards, because I know one of my neighbours got a visit um, and he wasn't he wasn't actually at home when they uh, when the census was there. But I just to wonder, is something like that happening this year? Yeah, so um, because the census is predominantly online, we'll have really good sort of up-to-date figures pretty much instantly on which households have and haven't um, completed. Uh, So there will be field officers starting to go out straight away actually from the Monday um, after the census. Um, And that will be a really friendly approach. They'll be knocking on doors. They'll be kind of stepping back to be nice and COVID safe. Uh, and they'll be sort of offering friendly advice, sort of seeing what people's barriers are, why they maybe haven't been willing or able to um, complete, and they'll be able to kind of signpost um, all of the support routes, which I can kind of explain in a minute as well, sort of the phone line and the website and uh, and offer them advice. I think one thing that's really important to say is that they'll never ask anybody for money to help complete the census and they'll never yeah, it's very ask important to cross point, the threshold. So, um, unfortunately, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of that going around at the moment, isn't there? So it's a very valid point. It's, it's completely free to do. And, and I love the fact that, you know, if you, you are concerned but you still like um, to say you are LGBT+, plus, um, you can actually get an individual one so you don't have to like out yourself or, or put yourself at risk um, uh, through doing it. So listen, Stefan, it's been lovely talking to you. Um, um, the big day's uh, right on our doorstep so um, um, if you are listening do make sure you get it done uh, in time um, else Stefan might have to come after you um, Stefan if people want to find out more um, I assume we're punching them at uh, websites are we? Yeah definitely so the first port of call is www.census.gov.uk there's tons of FAQs and information on there if you can't cool. find what you need on there there's also a free phone number which is 0800 141 2021 so hopefully between those two routes you should get the help you need brilliant cool well thank you ever so much for coming on and explaining about it um and um, you never know hopefully we can touch base with you when we we got a bit more of the stats back from it it'd be lovely to kind of hear how much um you know what the new bits um actually contributed this year if you'd be up for that that'd be lovely yeah it'd be lovely to come back on and uh, just to mention the purple buildings as well since you brought it up in the news yes. keep your eye out in Bristol <laughs> it's uh, City Hall uh, Bristol Museum and Art Gallery and M Shed hopefully should all be uh, nice and purple on Sunday cool keep your eyes out for those so. um, listen thanks ever so much for joining us um, stay with us you're listening to Shout Out we'll be back in a minute the Shout Out podcast the stars uh, that's the uh, wanted and a glad uh, UK. So I'm looking forward to purple buildings. Uh, that's going to be uh, quite cool. Uh, I love it when they do that. I loved it when they did the whole rainbow thing for Pride as well, where they lit up like loads of buildings. Uh, like is it the Wills nice, yes. Memorial? I think they did, didn't they? Which yeah, was, they did. Um, yes, up, did. Up, uh, up on the top Park Street. Yes. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, we that was a nice number. It was, yeah. yeah. You're a fan of the wanted, aren't you? So. Max. Max is living with me at the moment. Oh, you, you, yeah. So, anyway, um, we're going to clang, clock, something like that. Terry, how do you say it? 
Trent Gosford. There you go. The ladies of, that is, uh, with Queer History. Welcome back to Queer Story. Today I will be sharing with you the story of the ladies of Langochlan. And before I go any further, apologies for any incorrect pronunciations. Researching all of these different LGBTQIA plus people throughout history has allowed me to spend time delving into the past to bring back into the spotlight some of whom you may already know about, some you may not. The ladies of Langochlan were sassy top-hat connoisseurs, friends of princesses and poets, dog lovers, cottage keepers and lesbian lovers, whose reputation lived on after their time through dedications to poems by the likes of Wordsworth and Byron and ceramics of them graced in Victorian homes long after they passed away. But more simply, there were two women who fell in love and who then ran away together to live out their lives, away from everything and everyone that they knew. Eleanor Charlotte Butler, born on the 11th of May 1739, was a member of the Butler family, the Earls and later Dukes of Ormond. Butler was considered an over-educated bookworm by her family, whose family seat was Kilkenny Castle. She was educated in a convent in France and so spoke French fluently. Sarah Ponsonby, born on the 9th of December 1755, lived with relatives in Woodstock, County Kilkenny. She was a second cousin of Frederick Ponsonby, 3rd Earl of Bessborough, and thus a second cousin once removed of his daughter, Lady Caroline Lamb. She was the daughter of Chambre Brabazon Ponsonby and Louise Lyon. Although the ladies of Langochland's fame, mainly down to them living with one another, was rather extraordinary at the time, romantic female relationships were far more common in 18th century Europe than people even realise today. Before researching women such as these and Anne Lister, I was unaware of just how common it was. It's impossible to find conclusive proof whether the relationship between Eleanor and Sarah was sexual or not, but there's abundant evidence that extremely intimate relationship was there and it was full of love. They were inseparable from the moment they met. Their families lived 15 miles from each other. The two women met in 1768 and quickly became close. They spent every day in each other's company and over the years they formulated a plan for a private rural retreat. It was their dream to live an unconventional life together. The two ladies had no intention of settling for the men their families felt were suitable matches. Their getaway plan was put into action on Monday, March 30th, 1778, when Sarah Ponsonby, a youthful and energetic 23-year-old, slipped out of her guardian's Georgian mansion in Woodstock, Kilkenny, the rest of the house asleep. As always, she was dressed in men's clothing, had a pistol on her and carried her little dog Frisk. They had tried to run away before and had been prevented by their families. Sarah quickly made her way into the estate's barn, where Lady Eleanor Butler, a spinster 16 years her senior, was awaiting her, having decamped from Stony Butler Castle, 12 miles distant, on a borrowed horse. She too was wearing men's breeches and a top coat. I'd like to think I would have dressed similarly during this time, but it took strength of character, along with no care for other people's opinions, and so I am unsure if I would have had the courage to do so. Their long scheme plan was to ride through the night to Waterford, 23 miles away on the coast, and from there to embark for England to live together somewhere in delicious seclusion, retirement, a life of sentiment and tenderness. However, it wasn't long before their families noticed they were missing and in panic pursued them yet again, finding them asleep in a barn where they had sheltered overnight, accidentally missing the packet, packet boat. 
They were dragged back to their individual homes and kept apart. Sarah then fell seriously ill with a fever and nearly lost her life, but through determination and rest she recovered, and then told her family that they shall not have any more say in how she lives her life, for she only desired to live and die with Miss Butler. This angered and distressed her family, they felt betrayed, but neither women gave in nor accepted the wants of their families, and the more they fought back, the more their families finally gave in, and allowed them to leave to start their lives together. So they left again on, on their journey to northern Wales. They were provided with a coach to the seaport and were accompanied by a butler housemaid, Mary Carroll, who worked and lived with them until they died. It was reported they were laughing merrily as they stepped into the coach. I expect that for them this represented the start of the rest of their lives. And so now in Wales, the ladies, as they were known in Langochlan, settled themselves and proceeded to pass 50 years in their Welsh Vale, living the hyper-domesticated retirement dream that they had so longed for in Ireland. Interestingly, they soon became celebrated. Everything about them fascinated almost everyone who came to know them. During the ladies' long years in their home, called Place Nuerd, it seems just about everyone beat a path to the heavily ornamented Gothic door of their remote cottage. Wordsworth and Southey composed poems under its low roof. Both Shelley and Byron turned up to talk and stare, apparently flummoxed by the orderly lives of these ladies. Even Charles Darwin came as a child to the company of his father. Lady Caroline Lamb, the novelist and lover of Lord Byron, and a distant relative of Sarah, made a visit too, as did Walter Scott. Even the Duke of Wellington, a treasured friend, and de Quincey, who was coldly received. On and on, the personages of the age made pilgrimage to the isolated Welsh village on the River Dee. Josiah Wedgwood visited the ladies to tour and opine about the rock formations of the surrounding savage landscape. English and Gender Studies Professor Nicole Reynolds write that the ladies of Langochlan carefully constructed and tried hard to control the public myth of themselves against insinuations of sexual impropriety. Domesticity was the solution. The two women transformed their low-roofed cot and, as Wordsworth described it, into a heavily ornamented, artfully contrived spectacle, a cottage or nay, that became a pilgrimage site even after the ladies passed away. Eleanor Butler kept a very detailed, voluminous diary, not written in code like those by Anne Lister, but one which still shared her thoughts, feelings and everyday experiences. She described a domestically idyllic life and offers us vivid insights into their life together. Lady Eleanor's diary was a small, dainty book measuring four inches square, bound by herself in buff-coloured paper. Every day is accounted for. The handwriting is a marvel of neatness, but can only be read easily by the aid of a magnifying glass. The lines and margins are as straight as those of a printed book, and there is not a single eraser throughout. The occupations of almost every hour are set down. Every day begins with the hour of rising and a weather report. Scenery described in detail and often with enthusiasm. The gardener's doings, the visits of guests, books read and all the little trivial incidences of their daily life were carefully entered. What I loved most about her diaries was the, was the love she so clearly had for Sarah, or my Sally, my beloved, the darling heart, the joy of my life. At the end of each entry, the day is summed up in a phrase of which the following are examples. A silent, happy day, an undisturbed, peaceful day, a day of delight and uninterrupted retirement, sweet converse with the delight of my heart. She writes on Monday, 4th October, 1784, cold, wet day, stayed in our library the entire day, reading, writing and sharing. 
and on Thursday 22nd of September 1785, up at seven, dark morning, all the mountains enveloped in mist, thick rain, a fire in the library, delightfully comfortable. Breakfast at half past eight from nine till one writing. My beloved drawing Pembroke Castle from one to three I read to her and after dinner went hastily around the gardens, rained without interruption the entire day, from four till ten reading to my Sally, she drawing from ten to eleven sat over the fire conversing with my true beloved, a silent happy day, and my beloved finished her map of the world with a neatness and accuracy peculiar to even herself, the writing and ornament particularly beautiful. The ladies lived together for 50 years. Their books and glassware carried both sets of initials and their letters were jointly signed. Towards the end of their lives, they both dressed in black riding habits and men's top hats. Some visitors thought it was eccentric and outdated, especially the hair powder, but neighbours thought the clothes were practical for living outdoors. Feeling they'd have got on very well with Miss Anne Lister and Miss Anne Walker. But the most remarkable thing about these so called recluses was their devotion to one another, which not only stood the test of time, but was kept up all through at an almost ecstatic pitch. Lady Eleanor died in 1829 when she was nearly 90. Miss Ponsonby died three years later. And that concludes the story of the ladies of Langochlan. I hope you have enjoyed listening about these two marvellous women. If you have any feedback or anyone you'd like covered, tweet us at shoutout underscore radio. You can listen to every shoutout show again via our website, www.shoutoutradio.lgbt, as well as our podcasts, which are available on almost all podcast providers. For information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT Radio for you. The Shoutout Podcast. Uh, that's a Hollywood by the Papini Sisters. Hello. Yeah, I changed the music around a lot this week. So I did, did the usual. I've got the computer, so I just picked some random stuff. And uh, that came up. And I was like, oh, we haven't really played the Papini Sisters. We kind of play their Christmas hits, and that's about it. So, and I know when I'm onto a winner when I do it, and I can see you all on camera, like, bopping along. So, <laughs> We like a good bop. Yeah. Uh, you like the Papini Sisters? Yeah, they're great. They sound yeah. amazing. I love their... I love their little drum section there. It's going on. Yes. It's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's called uh, Hollywood, anyway. Um, you don't say. <laughs> no, well, I always give out the day because if I don't, someone asks, and of course uh, on the podcast of you don't course. hear the whole song. Um, yeah, you tend yeah. to only hear the bit that we talk over because that's all you're legally allowed to do. So I try and make sure I give out the uh, uh, name in case anyone's like, "Oh, that sounds a bit nice." I'll, uh, I'll shazam that. And they can't yeah. can't shazam it because we're talking all over it. it doesn't work. So, uh, but yeah, I'm trying to think of what they remind me of a Kyra Emerald. Have you heard her? Yes. Yes. She's well, brilliant. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, been here in Bristol as well. Performed what was the Colston Hall. Um, no, now completely. The Beacon. The yeah. Beacon. Yes. Yeah. Well, at the, uh, the moment, it's an absolute mess. It's more, more what it is. 
It will become a beacon. It yeah. will become a beacon, I'm sure. Indeed. So, um, Indeed. Yes, the yeah. Sisters. Okay, yeah. And did, did you say earlier, Terry, that we're heading for the... Um, is it one of the solstices coming up? No, it's the equinox, equinox the other the other equinox. bits, yes. Oh, right. Day and night are equal, and I think the week after, so not this yeah. Sunday, but Sunday after, here in the UK, we move on to British summertime. Yeah, it completely so, threw me, because I, I'm, I'm working for an American company uh, now, and their clocks went forward, we can just gone. Um, yeah. And we couldn't figure yeah, out why so all the meetings yeah. had changed times, and it was because um, they've gone forward and we haven't. <laughs> There was a case once of a radio station that forgot to put its clocks forward, and for about three days afterwards, all the programmes were running slow. The glory days—it was glory days of pirate radio in the eighties—but one station <laughs> forgot forgot to update its clocks. So, and this is the important one, isn't it? Because um, if if you forget, you'll be late for work and stuff. I know it's not like the other, the other end of the year. You're early, but uh, no. yes, this one makes you late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, talking of the timings and that, I remember uh, Radio 1 used to broadcast in the States and I was listening to it in Florida while we were driving up from uh, Miami to Orlando. And um, it was time-shifted. So oh yes, oh right, yeah. Busy yeah. Time yeah. So so Radio One was like time shifted for five hours, so that the breakfast show was still at breakfast. Yeah, it's quite cool, clever. isn't it? Yeah, mm. um, and you don't get that if you listen, obviously, on the internet because it is live life. But um, it's yeah. live life, yeah, um, yeah, very yeah, true. That's cool. Oh, well, you never know. We might it's get to clever. visit Orlando again at some point soon. Uh, I well, I've just I just read that the um, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, Californian ones are opening again very very soon, um, but with uh, limited attendance and stuff. So exciting. Uh, anyway, that's Lovely. it again for this week. Uh, once again, another reminder: we are still looking for people to get involved in the show. We'd love it if you would. Um, if you would like to, or you know someone that would like to, please do get in touch with us. It's not just being on air. If that's not your thing, there's plenty of help needed off air too. Just get in touch by emailing studio at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Next week, I think we're talking about trans day of visibility, are we? Something like that. Maybe. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) say bye-bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Bye-bye. Shout out. LGBT radio for you.